Blog Talk Radio. Franchise interviews from Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Marty McDermott, the president of Franchise Interviews, and I can't start today's show without talking about the ISO 10002. You know, some people just love to complain, but companies have a responsibility to care. The International Organization for Standardization, ISO, has revised ISO 10002, the standard for complaint handling. This document enables organizations to foster a customer-focused environment, open the feedback, heightening their customer satisfaction. You can get the ISO 10002 standard from the American National Standards Institute, ANSI, the U.S. member body of ISO. Visit ANSI.org forward slash complain to learn more. That's ANSI.org forward slash complain to learn more. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over 12 years now, we've been asking the Franchipreneurs of one one I'm your host, Marty McDermott. I'm the president of Franchise Interviews, and we have a great show today. Well, this week, we're discussing two must-read books before Labor Day. And we begin the show with Danny Lyon, author of The Color of My Underwear is Blue. And with over 60 marathons and 20 years of business experience, Danny Lyon shares why people create such varying levels of business and personal success. Next, we meet with Steve Barnett, author of Gumption, taking Bubba Gump from movie to restaurant. And written in a cinematic style, this book is about the creation, growth, and sale of the Bubblegum Shrimp Company. And that's coming right up on Franchise Interviews. So stick around because we have a great show. The Stone Coat Franchise Opportunity. Are you looking for a unique and lucrative franchise opportunity? If so, take a look at Stone Coat. With a patented process which creates a true stone finish on almost any wall or ceiling, Stone Coat is a true game-changing product in the multi-billion dollar construction industry. Stone Coat is applied faster, cleaner, and cheaper than conventional quarried stone, which saves both time and money. With advantages in remodel and new construction of both residential and commercial projects, Stone Coat is a true crossover product. The Stone Coat Franchise Opportunity provides a low startup cost, low operating expenses, comprehensive training, ongoing support, and no royalty payments. For more information on the Stone Coat Franchise Opportunity, go to www.stonecoatfranchise.com. That's www.stonecoatfranchise.com or call us at 972-380-2700. That's 972-380-2700. Franchisers, are you looking to reach aspiring entrepreneurs looking to buy a franchise? Are you looking to reach a highly educated audience on franchising? For over eight years, Franchise Interviews has been giving an up-close, behind-the-scenes look at franchising and entrepreneurship through our website, FranchiseInterviews.com, where you can hear and read interviews as well as get tips from some of the most successful sources in franchising. Our weekly franchise radio show where each week you get to hear a new interview with franchisers, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts and attorneys, and our podcast, Great Quotes in Franchising. For more information, go to FranchiseInterviews.com or call us at 610-905-2919. That's 610-905-2919. Franchise Interviews. From Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia, you're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews. We have over I'm your host, Marty McDermott, and I'm the president of Franchise Interviews. And as we were saying earlier, we have a great show today. We're meeting with author Danny Lyon, The Color of My Underwear is Blue. And according to Danny Lyon, The Color of My Underwear is Blue, success is a one-way street, and the only direction you should take is forward. Hey, Danny, how are you doing today? Good morning. Good morning, Marty. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, Danny. I feel like I know you. You know, I always feel like I know an author after I read their book. You know, so it's uh, I, I know you, but you don't actually know me. So it's great. Congratulations on the book, by the way. It is. Uh, it really is fantastic. Thank you very much. 
Uh, it's our pleasure. I thought we could start off, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your, your background um, and, and experience, Danny. I thought that would be a good place to start. Um, okay, well, I was uh, <clears throat> brought up in a very small town of 200 people, and uh, as I got past the uh, the uh, high school age, I uh, got into telecommunications with the uh, provincial telephone company up here in uh, Alberta, Canada, and I spent right. about 20 years working uh, in telecommunications all over the U.S. Uh, and overseas, uh, lived in Thailand for four years, and, and uh, when we came back, when we finished that gig, we came back and decided to... Uh, start a business we were going to get into uh, franchising because we didn't want to reinvent the wheel and uh, I was most experienced with uh, mailboxes etc franchise we Mm -hmm. used them a lot in our travels so uh, that's the one we chose and we came back to my uh, uh, hometown or near my hometown a little bit bigger community called Lethbridge Alberta and we opened up our store in 1996 and then since that uh, we've expanded we've bought the territories uh, uh, area franchises they're called and we've exp- uh, expanded it, helping people to get into business for themselves. So right now we have about 151 stores that we uh, help and support and uh, that are in our wow. territories between Alberta and Ontario. That's fantastic. Um, so you're no stranger to franchising, that's for sure. Nope, been doing it a long time. And uh, also I've uh, sat on the uh, Prairie Regional Board for uh, the Canadian Franchise Association. So I have right, great contacts right. in a lot of different franchise systems, and I attend the International Franchise Association conventions and things like that. So I've got lots of contacts and lots of experience in franchising. So why did you write the book, Danny? Uh, what, what sparked your interest in writing this book? Well, I think everybody should write a book. I think everybody's got mm-hmm. a book inside them. I agree. And with you. It's, yes, it's a desire. If you're having general conversations with people, almost. You know, there's a large majority of the people around your table when you're talking about it that have always wanted to do it. And uh, yeah. so I was on a, a Bob Proctor personal development cruise down on the Mexican Riviera, and the opportunity was presented to uh, uh, get published through Bob Proctor's uh, Life Success Publishing. And uh, it was time in my life, I guess, to go ahead and do that. So went through the process, and, uh, and uh, it was a great one. It was a great experience and learned lots. And it's great to uh, when you finally have that book in your hand when it's uh, finally the project's done, and I would recommend it for everyone. I would agree with you, Danny. I mean, when you say that, you know, I think everyone has a, a book in them. I, I teach for Kill University, and uh, it's amazing how many uh, of my peers' dream is to write a book one day. You know, it's just that uh, it seems to be so common. So I, I would totally agree with you. Um, for our listeners, can you tell them what the book's about? Uh, yeah, the book is, is about uh, success through networking. So coming from mm-hmm. the little town that I came from, it was all about networking. It was about yeah. support of everyone else. Uh, the neat thing, uh, some of the neatest things were when people that perhaps didn't even really like each other as much, uh, when, it, when it was needed for the community, when it was needed to uh, uh, build something like a community hall, everyone pitched together. All that was thrown out the window, yeah. and, and it was all, all for one. And so I learned a lot about uh, commerce. Uh, my family was in business. Uh-huh. And, of course, I worked for uh, the, some of the businesses on Main Street. I learned about customer yeah. service, and I especially learned about uh, networking and, and uh, utilizing others for support. So the book is on that. Everywhere in my life, uh, all my successes have been from the support of, of everyone else, uh, from the support of the fellow technicians. When I started traveling in the States, coming from a little town like that, I hadn't been very many places. And so to start flying all over the U.S., was pretty scary, and those guys all helped me. And uh, and then from being uh, starting a business, right? Even though my parents had been in business right. for a long time, I hadn't been in my own. And so being part of a franchise system was great because you have a built-in network already, and uh, people that have the experience and have been through what you're about to experience, and you can uh, can draw from that. So the book is on on uh, success through networking. Uh, I try and start each chapter with a story from mm-hmm. uh, from my. Uh, uh, history, and then it relates to a, uh, a point that I'm trying to make in each chapter, a lesson. And uh, I've uh, got the book uh, with exercises all through because I believe that uh, action is the card that trumps everything. And if you can get somebody to actually take some action, there's usually lots of planning and, and uh, wishing and wanting uh, from people when they're going for their goals and dreams and desires. But if you can get somebody to start taking action, that's when stuff really, really happens. It's funny you say that because we started our show off this morning with uh, a Danny Diamond uh, success tip uh, about stepping up to the plate, you know, and swinging the bat. You know, I, I love the uh, 
the, uh, the Danny Diamond success tips. I thought those were fantastic and very clever, by the way. Oh, good. Thank you. Well, I, I try and I tell everybody all the time that everything in business relates to baseball. I'm a baseball fan. Yes. And so uh, <laughs> you can tell. Uh, yeah, and I, so I try and relate lots of stuff that happens in our in our businesses right. and the way that the the business owners uh, conduct themselves and stuff. It all relates back to business. But it's very true. The people sitting in the dugout that won't go up and swing are the ones that are planning all the time and wishing and hoping and, and uh, making goals. But eventually you got to go up there and see if you can hit the ball. Absolutely. Yeah, well said. And franchising, you know, a lot of times Don and I on the show, Danny, we, we talk about how it, it's important to uh, network. I, I, we believe that there's a lot of people out there that try to go about this whole thing alone when they're looking for a franchise. And, and the whole importance of networking. So really, I mean, the book is – the book satisfies a, a very big need out there. How do I personally or how do our listeners create a network themselves? Well, the, I think the first thing to realize is there's nothing to create, right? We all have mm-hmm. an existing network, and we've had since day one, right? Even right. when you were – when the day you were born in that birthing room or, or whether you are born at home or wherever it was born, you, the people around you are automatically on your team that day. And it starts True. that day that never ends. All the time uh, growing up through school – uh, elementary school, junior high, high school, you have a team, you have a network already. What is typically needed <clears throat> is the better awareness of the people who are in your network, right? And uh, right. sometimes uh, you'll find that you've maybe been hanging out with the wrong people as you're growing up, and uh, but you always have the opportunity to change that. So there is an existing network already, and what typically needs to be done is just the better awareness, and then you always want to be growing that network. So we take you through uh, exercises in the in the uh, right in the first chapter of the book, mm-hmm. how to identify that network by going through your family, your list of family and friends, associates, right. mentors, uh, past and present, and then just kind of becoming aware of how they helped you or maybe how they hindered you or what lessons you learned from them and uh, start identifying how any of those in the in your current list uh, could relate or could help you with your current goals and dreams and desires and wants and needs. And uh, so most of the time, people don't have to create a list. They, they've got a network already, or sorry, create a network. They've got a network already. And uh, it's just a matter they've never looked at it in a way of helping them move forward. Most of the time, our network we think of as a social uh, network, not just social right. on the Internet, but social, social, social greetings, social meetings. And uh, so if you go back to business, the top stores, the best performers, are always the best networkers. Yeah, and uh, it, it's uh, it's quite incredible. So, uh, you know, you mentioned a good point there about people thinking they have to go on on their own. One of the reasons for business failure, and I mean the statistics will say, depending who you're who you're getting your statistics from, is anywhere from 50 to 90 percent of small businesses fail in the first five years. And uh, right. two of the biggest reasons are the owners thinking they know what to do and right. how to do it. And so, therefore, doing it on their own, the way that you, you'd uh, mentioned. And then right. there's a stage that comes after it's not working where they lose their spirit. And I've seen that many times happen in, in various different businesses, independent and in franchise. And so there's, there's typically two paths when you're starting a business. is It's based on your wants and needs and desires. That's usually the, the uh, uh, heading down the disaster road. And then there's the one based on the customer's needs, wants, and desires. And that's the one that usually leads to success. And when you're dealing with the customer when you're totally focused on making the life of the customer better, getting, keeping, and satisfying customers, when you're focused on that and you will allow other people uh, that have been in the business that you're in, whether it's an independent business or franchise, and you will network with them, that's usually the road to success. Yeah, well said. It, you know, it reminds me, you know, when I was reading the book, Danny, and, and everything that you're saying now, I, I saw an interview with Sylvester Stallone several months ago, and he was talking about when he wrote Rocky and he was getting ready to make the movie. I mean, he used his network. His network was his wife, uh, his father, his brother, his mom. I mean, everyone he knew. He, he said that no man is an island. You know, and I was thinking about that a That's lot right. as I was reading the book, why why the movie became so successful. I mean, he really he didn't have the money at the time, you know, to you know pay millions of dollars to people to, to, to be in the movie. So he just called everyone he knew, including his dog, by the way, you know, yeah. to, 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 to make the movie such a success, you know, and that's what I was thinking about as, as I was reading the book. What are the three biggest mistakes you see when it comes to networking? Um, well, I think that the uh, three biggest mistakes that I see, are pe- people just don't network enough. Uh, mm-hmm. Small business owners get trapped mm-hmm. into their business. Uh, they get behind yeah. the counter, the, you know, the term shopkeeper or, or bought right. themselves a job comes up all the time. So it's a... Uh, it's a mistake thinking that you know what you're doing and that you don't need any help or input from anyone else, right? If you were on the baseball yeah. team, you just made the team and you want to be 
one of the top hitters on the team, you would start networking. First of all, you you go to batting practice, right? That's like right. a networking event. And yeah. you start associating with some of the top hitters on the team. I don't know what they do. So not networking enough, a kind of a cocoon effect. Now, especially when the when the store starts to struggle or business starts to struggle, and everything, just like I mentioned in the book, Marty, everything when I say business, because I'm a business guy, but it all relates to personal because yeah. there is really no right. personal life or business life. There's only life. And so how you are in your business is, is typically how you are in your personal life as well. And uh, so once a person starts struggling personally or in business, uh, there, there becomes a cocoon effect even more because you don't want to tell people that you're struggling. I mean, right now we could go down the street and, and talk to business owners and say, how's it going? And they're going to say, it's going great. And you go, well, 15% to 90% of small businesses fail in the first year. How can it be going right. great? Come on, what's really going on? Somebody here exactly. down the street has to be struggling. So tell us about that, and then you can get some real help. And right. uh, another big mistake along that cocoon effect is that you – uh, people think they have to go it alone, where there's just huge help. It's amazing how much help is out there when you finally expose yourself. And then um, yeah. a lot of people don't create or take advantage of networking opportunities when available so uh, or presented. So like in the businesses, um, host an event in your business, any opportunity to do that. Uh, if you're uh, a home-based business and you maybe don't have a place to bring people, then maybe do a, um, a co-branding type thing with a with a retail storefront where you bring your database and they bring their database and you kind of have a meeting to show off your wares. But there's Chamber of Commerce events and there's a Business Network International. There's lots of great networking opportunities and networking clubs. And uh, then number three that I, that's one of the biggest mistakes is you'll see people networking with the same people at the same level all the time. So an example would be right. a networking meeting for uh, our franchise, the UPS store, you will see the franchisees, when they come into the networking meeting, they will sit with the same people they sat with the last time. And a lot of times, uh, uh, the, the, whatever store levels, whatever level sales the store is at, that's kind of who they gravitate to. It's natural, right? Yes. And uh, Because yes. you want to talk to people that have the common issues that you do so you can right. you know, roll around in them and, and justify as opposed to seeking out, I would like to find out, if I was walking into a room like that, who is the top performer? That's who I want to sit beside. And uh, so people, it's more of a comfort zone to network with the same people at the same level. And uh, whereas if you want to stretch, though, if you want to open up and you really want to grow what where you're at today, you need to be around some people at a higher level and uh, let them uh, pass on their ideas and mentor you if that's uh, possible. Yeah, well said. So what are three things someone today could do to become more effective at networking, Danny, in addition to reading the book? Yeah, they've got to read the book for sure. Um, <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of social media, so yes. I think if you're not on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and all those, then you should do it. Um, they're great for making announcements, say, for, in my case, for a book signing or even an interview. Yeah. So I'll go up on Facebook after this and post where the link is to this interview. So it's great for that. It's great for touching base with uh, people that you maybe haven't had contact for years, and, and it's good. Now, it doesn't solve everything because, uh, uh, you know, first of all, social media is no longer a fad. It's here to stay, right? It's just right. too popular. It's mm-hmm. not going to go away. So get involved. Quit quit bucking the system and get on there. And uh, the uh, uh, it doesn't solve everything. Eventually, when you're going for your goals and dreams and desires, you can't be fully exposed in social media, right? You can't, especially if you were struggling and you needed help, you're not probably going to tell everybody your financial state on a on a, uh, Facebook, you know, so but for con- for connecting and for getting people in your network and for reminding you of who is in your network and what expertise is there, it's fantastic. And then also uh, uh, to be more effective, people just have to expose themselves more. We, we're very closed in, and it's a natural human tendency, especially if there's struggle involved. So yeah. more open again. The to- the top stores are the are the best networkers. They're also the most exposed about their situation. If you have a, a top-performing business that has suddenly uh, hit a, a roadblock or has something has happened in their business, they are typically the first ones to expose themselves to help. I need help. Uh, you know what what can be done, and they mm-hmm. get the most help first. Uh, whereas uh, people that are maybe not as performing as well in their business and they start to struggle, they again they get into that cocoon effect. So be more open, expose your needs, wants, goals, desires, and the more you do that, the more help comes because we're as human beings we just naturally want to help people. And uh, many times people just say what they think others want to hear instead of being brutally honest and with what they really want and desire. So I got an example for that story. Uh, I went to a networking meeting club 
and I'd been invited by one of the members to uh, maybe give a little kick in the butt and mm-hmm. get them going because they become kind of a social club as, a mo- as opposed to getting a business going. And so after they introduced themselves, I critiqued them on their introductions, and I, I told them, you know, you, you guys need to be bringing specials to each other, and you need to be getting up and, and broadcasting who you are. Some of you people were sitting already sitting down before you finished your introduction. And I said, one thing you should really get up here is expose yourself to each other. You've been in this club for a long time. And tell them how it really is for you, good or bad, and you'll watch. You'll just be amazed how much help comes. So this uh, one lady um, was chatting at me later, a few months later after the, I'd been there. And she said that uh, one or two meetings later, she actually stood up and told them how it really was in her home-based business and right. that it was a struggle and it wasn't going good. And she ran out of ideas because she'd been trying to do it on her own. And uh, she said the help came that day. Uh, people helped her set up uh, uh, networking events, selling events of her own, really networking events and expanding. Uh, people bought from her that day. They didn't even know exactly what her business was about because, again, the, the club had become social. So I find that many times. The uh, uh, As soon as you expose yourself, the help just comes immediate. It's just amazing. And uh, another third tip for better networking is be first in being in service. So if you – lots of times when people go to these networking events or they're even networking, let's say, inside their business, they're always looking at reciprocation. So, okay, I'm going to do this for you. What are you going to do for me? And right. that, create, that creates a payback mentality, and that creates struggle because you're focused on then you and what you're going to get back. So if you're first in service and you're concerned about the other person and you're not concerned about what you get back, uh, mm-hmm. you're supporting others in your network first and often and with no, nothing in return, and that's when uh, success comes as opposed to struggle. So when businesses are focused on the money and, then, and I need to make money and I have to have money and how do I get it, uh, that's when they seem to struggle the most when they're totally focused on being service to others and making uh, other people's lives better and getting, keeping satisfying customers, as soon as the focus goes to them and off of me, uh, that's when success is, is imminent. And that's a hard thing to, to overcome. That's why you need your network for support when you're having any kind of struggle. Maybe sales have dropped in your business. You know, these are right. slow economic times and stuff. So it's hard not to focus on, I need money, I need money, I need money, I need more sales, I need more sales. So the focus is all inward. And uh, instead, you've got to get it away from yourself. As long as it's on you, you're going to have struggle. When it's on the other person, the customer, making someone uh, someone's life better. Look how good it feels when you when you give somebody a gift without expecting anything in return, right? True. And that's, right. Why, that's why I have that whole chapter on give first, give off. And, then, and if you really, if you're struggling, just, Give. Give without anything in return, and uh, success will come out of the blue from many different directions. Yeah, I agree with that. The The title of the book is very clever, uh, Danny. I mean, I get like, you probably get hundreds of questions. I mean, how did you come up with the title of the book? Um, you know, and, and again, to say something like that, you know, getting in front of like, you know, whether it's 500 or 1,000 people and saying, you know, hi, my name is Danny Lyon, you know, the color of my underwear is blue, it, it might be hard for some people. Um, you talk about, you know, uh, being transparent and open and exposing yourself for success. So if, if it makes people feel uncomfortable to share that much, how, how do they get past that stage? Yeah, it can be, it can be a challenge, uh, again, because it's human nature is to not uh, tell people that you're financially struggling, either personally or mm-hmm. in your business. Right. So it, it takes uh, utilization of the network. Uh, again, you've got you to be brave. And, you, and it, what happens is, is people see a success and uh, when I get a, let's say we get a business that turns itself around, uh, typically the person finally exposed themselves. They finally came clean. Uh, they get the help, and they turn around almost immediately. And then uh, they become one of the biggest uh, mentors and supporters of other people who may be in the same position. So when you're first doing it, it's, it's very difficult to do. But when you think back, even in when you're having big decisions as you're growing up, uh, if you're not being true of what you really want to do, what, what uh, high school you want to go to or what university you want to go to, um, you, it's, it's a real struggle because nobody knows what you're thinking for sure. And so eventually you have to expose it to the family or expose it to family members. And uh, then all of a sudden people have ideas or I know so-and-so went to the same school and it branches off from there. So if you go back to the exercises that we do, it's about relating past successes to who was in your network at the time to show that you've been doing it all along anyway and that you don't have to be scared now because you've exposed yourself other times and people have helped you. Right. My my first oh, job absolutely. was 
was in a um, first real job, I guess. I worked at Damon's General Store for seven years in my little town. But the first real job was punching a clock at a, at a factory, which I found out immediately that I did not want to do. And uh, I'm back at a networking event in the uh, local lounge in my town and telling the people how miserable I was around the table. And next thing you know, I'm working for the telephone company, all because someone at the table uh, heard what I really wanted to do and uh, didn't like what I was doing. I exposed myself how I was going, and the help came immediately. So I think it's a it's a realization. If people just sat down and looked at their successes, they would see that it's already happening. So this time, right now in your life, don't be afraid. Tell somebody how it really is. And it's not always uh, someone that's necessarily really close, right? That, that Sometimes those are the hardest people right. to tell. Uh, you may just look for somebody that's doing the same business as you, uh, someone that you've maybe had uh, uh, acquaintance with at a, at a networking event, and just say, you know what, I really want to sit down and talk to you because here's, here's what's happening. And you seem to be successful. You look successful. Tell me some of the things that you went through. Uh, I can tell everybody in business, everybody that's on the call listening, is, is uh, uh, I love to talk to business owners and ask them about the early years because those are the biggest struggles. And uh, especially if they've been in business like, you know, 20 years, 30 years now, and they're hugely successful. Tell me about those early years. And there's so much that you that relates to the struggle that everybody has when they start a business that is fantastic. Because basically uh, you can draw a lot of information from them on, and that, is, that the struggle is not just you. It's, it's, uh, it's natural and that you can uh, get out of it a lot sooner if you actually have mentoring help. Yeah, that's great advice. We have about two minutes, Danny. What's the best way our listeners can uh, get more information on the book or get in contact with you? Are there any websites they can go to, any numbers they can call? Yep, they can go up on the colorofmyunderwearsblue.com. Now, the the title of the book is done in the Canadian spelling of color with the U in there. Up in Canada, we, we seem to have an excess amount of U's, so we like to put them in different <laughs> words. But but they can search on, on the American spelling as well, C-O-L-O-R, and, it, and, and uh, it'll get it there. So the color up. of my underwear is blue.com. All of my contact information is up there, uh, email address. Um, they, I, I love to talk about business, so if you go up there and uh, grab my email address and want to you know send me a note, and talk about it is fantastic uh, conversation because I learn from as much as as uh, information that I give out. I learn as much from the people that I make contact with. The, I always tell people the franchisees teach me something new every day, and it's like an ongoing yeah. education. It's fantastic. Um, so that's the best way. Uh, I have a, a email address. It's on there. It's a little bit long, but it's Dan Lyon at Telus T E L U S Planet, all one word. Telusplanet.net. They can email me anytime. And uh, that's the best way. It's also the book is available on Amazon.ca for the Canadian listeners, and it's Amazon.com down in the U.S. And just search the color of my underwear is blue when you're up on their websites. Away we go. That's fed. That's great. I want to thank you again, Danny. You're a wonderful speaker. And thank you again for writing the book. Really is incredible. And I'd love to have you back uh, to continue the conversation. Anytime. Thanks for having me, Marty. Thanks again, Danny. Are you one of those special people who are willing to go after your dreams and goals? Are you ready to fulfill that dream of owning your own business with the security of a proven brand? The opportunity to take control of your future and own a Rita's Italian Ice franchise is within your reach. Rita's is seeking success-oriented individuals who are ready to make a change in their life, and Rita's offers unparalleled training and support to assure your success. And did you know the frozen treat industry is a recession-proof industry and there are Rita's in 23 states currently with 540 stores open. Rita's Italian Ice has been around for 25 years and is listed as a top-performing franchise by the Wall Street Journal. Now here's the really good part. Rita's Italian Ice is a unique and amazing taste treat. It's smoother than a snow cone and it combines ice with real fresh fruit. The real fruit adds dramatically to the taste, and it comes in over 40 flavors. The ice and fruit are mixed on site and made fresh daily, and it is delicious. You'll want to know more about this exciting and successful franchise opportunity. Go to www.ownaritas.com and get all your questions answered. That's www.ownaritas.com to take control of your dreams and future today. You don't want to wait any longer to be a part of this adventure. www.ownaritas.com
Are you looking for a franchise that delivers? Businesses will always need shipping, and for more than 25 years, loyal customers have depended on Unishippers for reliable savings and exceptional customer service. Unishippers is focused on just one thing, helping small and medium-sized businesses save time and money on all their shipping needs. And as the largest reseller of complete shipping services in the country, we have the buying power to ensure that we succeed. The Unishippers franchise offers low startup costs, no equipment or real estate required because they're not retail, residual income, and a quality of life and work-life balance. For more information on becoming a Unishippers franchisee, go to www.unishippers.com and click Franchise Opportunities or call Franchise Development at 801-708-5822. That's 801-708-5822. Franchise Interviews. From Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia, you're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over years we've been asking the franchipreneurs one-on-one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott. I'm the president of Franchise Interviews. And as we were saying earlier, we have a great show today. We're meeting with Scott Barnett, author of Gumption, Taking Bubba Gump from Movie to Restaurant. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, Scott. Yeah, congratulations on the book, by the way. It's um, you know, I have a chance to. I, I'm a professor for Kaplan University, so I have the opportunity of reading a lot of different business books, and this one is on my uh, books to recommend to my students and uh, friends. So it really is fantastic. That's great to hear. The, the um, you know, I love the movie Forrest Gump, Scott. I think you know, I I think I'm one of those people who identified with. Uh, Bubba's character for my love of shrimp, and I got the chance of working in the um, seafood industry for several years. Why did you think the creation of an entertainment restaurant based on a single movie like Forrest Gump could be successful? You know, at, at first I wasn't sure, to tell you the truth. Yeah. We, 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 really weren't, um, uh, we really weren't certain that this could work. What, what really uh, caused me to think that, to, to change my mind was that when I when I really screened the movie and looked at it, and I realized oh. that there was that that Zemeckis, who was the creator and and, and right. producer and director, was really um, bottling magic in a certain way. And uh-huh. and then as we looked at the research that came out of it, what we learned was there was an unforced translation from a movie to a restaurant, and it uh-huh. really made sense that such a thing would exist. So, on the basis of that, and and of course the, the needs of the company, that's why we went ahead and did it. We're speaking with Scott Barnett, author of Gumption, Taking Bubba Gump from Movie to Restaurant. And Scott, what prompted you to work in the restaurant industry? It seems like you know there's something that you, that you like about that particular industry. You know, it was really by chance. I was mm. I was working in a gas station in Palm Desert, California, and I was saving up money for uh, college. And I ended up uh, borrowing a friend's motorcycle and put it down on a gravelly curve and broke my ankle and uh, oh. tore up my hands. I couldn't work, and so I had to put college off. And when I uh, was able to work again, I started as a valet parking attendant at a restaurant. And one day, uh, a hostess came out and said, hey, you're going to bust tables tonight. And I did. And and it, when the, and the hours just sort of flew by. It was The work was hard, but it was a lot of fun. And right. and I, I felt like we were putting on nightly theater every night. And, and uh wow. And, and we were doing it better than anybody else in town. So out of that came this kind of desire to continue doing it. So when I did go on to college, which I eventually did, I kept working as a cook and bartender and right. so on. And and uh, it just got in my blood, I guess. It sounded like it was your destiny, you know, I mean, from, <laughs> you know, from a young age. And it sounded like those, you know, in reading the book, too, Scott, that, you know, those owners of that particular restaurant that you were working for, they had a big impact on your life as well, didn't they? They did. the 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 whole thing was is that you know they treated it as um, kind of an amalgamation of family and business, yeah. and and it was really unique. And I and I thought you know this can this this is something I really like doing. And you know when I worked before, it was all, you always referred to your boss as you know Mr. Johnson or Mr. Right. Or Mr. Anderson, and and this guy was just Lyman and. And and it was really a, a very different and, and and really kind of fun way of, of looking at your professional life, if you will. And that's that's really what it was. 
For our listeners, Scott, who may have never been in a Bubba Gump Shrimp Company restaurant, what makes Bubba Gump so different from some other like entertainment restaurants like um, Planet Hollywood or Hard Rock Cafe? <laughs> well, we we in the end, the restaurant business is really about some very basic things. It's about mm-hmm. hot food, hot, cold food, cold, service with a smile, in pleasant, clean interesting surroundings and, and, and so on. But I think makes Bubba Gump different is that, um, you know, we had come from a, a background, we had actually been running a, a company called Rusty Pelican Restaurants, which was mm-hmm. an upscale seafood dinner house. And so when we, when we came into the, the, this so-called entertainment, which is a kind of a mix of entertainment and, and restaurants, right. we brought with us kind of a, a, a stronger and I think better quality filters in terms of the food product and, and the service and what have you. So when we when we did Bubba Gump, we actually wanted to make it a restaurant. A lot of these people who get into that business from the from the entertainment side, they think they're in the trademark business. So they think they're in uh, right. you know something else. And the reality is, you know, you're in the restaurant business. And so that's that's how we looked at it. And I think it made us pretty different from a lot of our competition. Why is the restaurant business so difficult scott you know i think people make it difficult for one thing Mm -hmm. but 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 something else really is is that um the restaurant business is it's very capital intensive it's very meaning you need you need some money to do it and you know if you miss somewhere on the life cycle life cycle curve and and you you're putting something out there that people just don't want I don't care how how good you are, you're you're just not going to make it because right. you've got to you've got to listen to the customer. They're the ultimate arbiter, and and they decide what is what is desirable and what is not. And uh, there's a very high failure rate, as you know, and right. and I think a lot of it, most of it, has to do with being undercapitalized, not being in the right location, or uh-huh. just not giving people what they want when they want it. Yeah, I think that's well said. We're speaking with Scott Barnett, author of Gumption, Taking Bubble Gumption from Movie to Restaurant. And Scott, whose idea was it to include a retail store that sold Forrest Gump merchandise right inside the restaurant? That was very clever. Was the retail store uh, your biggest surprise? Yes, it was. We it, it, we all knew we were going to do a retail store. We just did, right. I think uh, that that everybody because the hats and and the hats and t-shirts had been a huge part of. Uh, of uh, Bubba Forrest Gump right. uh, yeah. in, in terms of uh, the movie. And they had, believe it or not, I mean, Paramount was shocked at the amount of hats and, and wow. T-shirts they sold. And so when they did, we thought, well, we, we'll do that, but we're not going to do it halfway. We're going to we'll, – we'll actually do a real store, unlike, say, right. Planet Hollywood, which had a um, – or, or Hard Rock Cafe, which had a just a counter, which you walked up to and – and there were T-shirts on the wall, and you sort of picked one out and bought it. And so it was a huge surprise to us, and and a, and a happy one. But in the end, it, it, we knew we we weren't just a we weren't going to be a retail store. We were going to be a restaurant right. that contained a retail store, and and so uh, it, it worked really well for us. We did about fifteen percent of our sales, and it grew into wow. a, a, a yeah, it, it really grew into a thirty million dollar business. But in the end, I mean, you still have to be a restaurant. I mean, there was a lot of innovative things that you know that that, that went on. Um, the hiring of a Forrest Gump impersonator to be present at restaurant openings. I mean, that was another great example, and I saw that on the internet. Um, how successful was that? That was really something. We, we, I was standing outside working on the sign at the first Bubba Gump in Monterey, California, and and uh, we were uh, as a, a guy kind of walked by out of the corner of my eye, and he was in. Is in white. I thought, oh, okay, he looks like Forrest Gump. Right. So he goes into the restaurant and talks to my uh, director of marketing, Kathy Peterson, and she comes out and she goes, "Hey, you've got to come in here and see this guy." And I did, and and it turned out he, you know, he was dressed in a in the same suit that Forrest was in in the movie, and right. he had a checkered shirt with a suitcase, and he was in Nike sneakers, and the guy looked a lot like Tom. Oh my God! And he'd gotten his haircut like Forrest, and so I said, "Well, we'll hire him for the opening." And uh, it'll be a novelty. Well, he ended up keeping him for a long time. Wow. And he, he must be the most photographed guy in America. I thought it was Tom band. Hanks. Yeah, when I saw it too, Scott, I mean, I, I thought it was, I mean, he looked to me, he looked just like Forrest Gump, the, the character. I mean, it was, it was, yep. it was <laughs> identical. I mean, it really was 
very clever, you know, so I, I thought that was great. I was mentioning to you, Scott, I, I teach for a university and, and I teach marketing, and restaurants are essentially a, a marketing business. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the four P's of marketing and how um, a new graduate can really understand the mindset of a restaurant CEO. Sure. Uh, I mean, it, 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 the four P's of marketing, as you know, if you're, if you're instructing in, in, a, in a university or college, is that you know, it's for price, promotion, place, and uh, product. And mm-hmm. and we, uh, uh, I always kind of viewed um, my approach to the business that way. I think that um, in the in terms of uh, of uh, Bubba Gump, we we really looked at that and 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 kind of devised a, a marketing strategy out of that. And then, you know, looked at it from the standpoint of our strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and so on, just as you would any strategic plan or business plan. And 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 then we developed our, our marketing plan around that. In in terms of pricing and and product and promotion and all that, we we really um, looked at at Bubba Gump and we did a lot of research, a lot of market research um, mm-hmm. around it after we had gotten it open. We didn't do market research beforehand because there was nothing to <laughs> do research about. But right, right. Once we did, you know, we spent an inordinate amount of time doing research at every opening, both quantitative and qualitative. So we would do quantitative research like what we call nose counting, where we'd put a questionnaire in front of mm-hmm. three, four or 500 people and then get a statistically significant um, response. Right. And things like what you liked about it, what you didn't like, and so on. And then we did focus groups, a number of them, over the years that where we would where we would look at, where we would talk about what the impressions were and get an idea of what the overall general feeling was about the company. In terms of uh, uh, the, the the menu itself, the product, and so on. I mean, and we, and we, and by the way, we view the product as not just the food. We also right. viewed it as the overall experience, the the, the tenor of the service, the oh. how people viewed the uh, the ambiance and the atmosphere. And in the end, I mean, what we were trying to create was um, what I'll call an emotional souvenir that that people could take with them, and. And 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 do what is most important in the restaurant business, which is create a memorable experience that they're not only uh, seeing but they're part of. And so that's part of the engagement that we tried to do was to get people to um, to be a part of the experience as much as they were to mm-hmm. quote experience it unquote. And that was that that was really I think where we where the product that we created was kind of unique. That's fantastic. I have my marketing students listen to that clip. I think what you just said there is is, is fantastic. Well, speaking of location, you know, we're talking about the marketing uh, mix, Scott. I mean, you, you did some interesting things with locations. I mean, you took um, you looked at poor performing restaurants that were in great locations. What, what were some of the biggest location challenges that you experienced? I suppose. Um... Uh, one of the things that people do is they 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 say, oh well, I'm going to locate on the pier or I'm going to locate in right. this place, and and that'll solve the problem. And really, it's not. You have to. It, it's a little bit like putting some uh, attention to detail so that you get the whole. You don't just go nine yards and miss the t- miss the first down. You we I guess the biggest challenge we ever had on a great location that was really not doing well was San Francisco at Pier 39, where. They, they were at the end of the pier, had a great view of all three bridges, the Golden Gate, the Bay Bridge, and so on, and, the, and, wow. and yet uh, you couldn't find the place. So we were able to negotiate a deal where the um, uh, where we put a sign, huge sign, mm-hmm. giant sign at the base of the pier and saying, we're here at the end of the pier. And then second, uh, it was on the second floor, which is typically the kiss of death for restaurant locations, but we got wow. the landlord to put an escalator up with our treatment on it. And then finally, it was sort of uh, at the out at the out, what I'll call the on the perimeter of the pier. So we uh, projected our presence into the center of the pier by leasing the space in front of us and then cladding it with our with our treatment. So we were able to take a, a restaurant that had done barely done two million dollars and turn it into a twelve million dollar restaurant with you know with our Amazing. with our name and and so on. So I mean, there's there's things you have to do. You can't just you can't just say, well, I'm going to be here on the beach <laughs> and think that's right. going to do it. you got to do a lot of other stuff. 
You have so much experience in the restaurant industry. You know, it's it's interesting because it probably all that experience. I don't know if it prepared you for. You know, what was it like dealing with Paramount Studios, Scott? I mean, that had to be something new for you. You know, I always I likened uh, dealing with Paramount as to um, dealing with armed preschoolers. You have to be really careful, <laughs> and and we. Uh, uh, but but in the end, I, I mean, they're very tough negotiators. They're very. Right. Uh, uh, they, 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 contrary to what everybody may think, the Paramount, you know, the movie business likes money, and right. they 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 get after it pretty hard. Wow. But but in the end, I have to say this about the people at Paramount: they took a risk with us because mm-hmm. you know we were a company that had been in Chapter Eleven because our you know the, when I took over Rusty Pelican, it was technically insolvent, so we had right. to reorganize it, and and uh, and they they went with us over you know groups like Darden or or. Brinker and so on, which much bigger companies, because our vision was consistent with theirs, and and they they took a chance. The mantra in Hollywood is don't do anything that will get you fired, and they they took a they took a risk with us, which was right. We were fine with. So in the end, we got the deal done. That's interesting. Yeah, and I know you talk about it in that in the book. In, in going international, you decided to use franchising as an alternative to expand, Scott. Why um, franchising, and what was that experience like for you? You know, we, we the, the the reason for franchising uh, internet. We didn't franchise domestically and don't, and uh, right. and so uh, and they still don't. Although you mm-hmm. know, we sold the company in 2011, but they don't franchise domestically now. But but um, internationally. It makes total sense to do that or license it, one or the other, mm-hmm. because right. you know there are so many different uh, countries and so many different ways of doing business, and 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 there are there and rules and laws and regulations that it would be very presumptuous for someone to think that they could operate a business in in any overseas market. Now we did operate a business overseas in Hong Kong. We were mm-hmm. joint we joint ventured that deal. And we were the operating group that uh, that did it. Uh, on the other hand, we'd also joint ventured in Mexico, and we would never presume to try to operate in Mexico. Our, our partner was an experienced restaurant restaurant guy, and he uh, his his team operates the restaurant, and rightfully so. So I think you just have to be you have to match your uh, right. your needs and wants with what the market will bear at the particular location that you're doing it. We we. We looked at the whole world. We hired a company called Cine Little. Jim Little was the, the guy we used, and and he did a study of the whole world and said, okay, this would be franchise. This would be no, don't go there, and this would be you know joint venture territory. So that's how we kind of viewed it. I remember. I think you mentioned in the book too. It was some um, difficult experiences. Was it in Manila, Scott? I mean, you talk oh, yeah. a little bit about that. What <laughs> happened? <laughs> you talk a little bit about what happened there. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Well, in the book Gumption, I I talk about Manila as being where we first uh, got um, we, where we got a spanking, is the way I describe mm-hmm. it. Right. <laughs> we got involved with a group who um, who were essentially swindlers, and and they um, had uh, uh, developed a, kind of a network of people within within the Philippines, and and they uh, were they, they they we we signed up with them. They were the one of the first franchisees we were with and they ended up uh, with money trouble as you would expect and they were looting the company as well as looting some other companies and over a period of time we got more and more um, dissatisfied with them and I went over and said look I'm you know I want I want to be paid number one I want this to happen that to happen and so on and they abandoned the restaurant on Christmas just before Christmas and uh, I ended up getting a phone call and had to I had to fly over there and take over and operate myself the restaurant because our, our VP of, of franchise was had some personal issues he was dealing right. with and it was my deal. So I ended up on, on New Year's Eve in Manila oh, um, sitting at the Peninsula Hotel <laughs> trying to uh, – and you couldn't go outside because uh, – and, and I think the, the chapter title is Raining Bullets in Manila. Mm-hmm. You couldn't go yeah. outside on New Year's Eve because they fire their guns in the air and the bullets come back down, and I guess there's thousands of bullets flying back to the ground. You can't go outside. So. Oh, my Pretty God. Fine. And that's what I love about the book, you know, is your, your sharing of all these different experiences, you know, the ups, the downs, and, you know, everything in between. I just I, – I thought it was fantastic. A lot of our, our listeners that listen to the franchise interview, Scott, they're – we call them – you know, a lot of them are aspiring uh, restaurateurs. I mean, they want to, you know, own their own, you know, you know 
franchise or a restaurant. What lessons can you pass along to them in their quest? Well, I would say this, that um, in, in, in there's a chapter in the book called CEO Lessons that I, I talk mm-hmm. about where um, we're uh, in the book Gumption, where, where I, I talk about what I learned and what I think are important things to remember. But one of the things is keep it simple, stupid is, is a principle that I learned from the founder of Rusty Pelican, Pete Sark. He is a really smart uh, restaurateur and entrepreneur. And he um, was always saying, you know, but don't overcomplicate it. Keep it simple, stupid. And if you're going to be in the franchise business, it should be something that is what I what I use. And I don't know if the word even exists, but I call it franchisable, meaning that it's mm-hmm. that it can be replicated and duplicated. And in the restaurant business, that's a very big, important part of the whole thing. You know, can you are there are there standard ways of doing things that are really, really standard and really replicatable. So keep it simple. And I think the other thing is follow your passion. If you're really, and and I know this sounds trite and you hear it from Mm -hmm. a lot of successful people, but it's true. If you follow your passion and you're not, you know, you're, you're not undercapitalized and all the rest Mm -hmm. of things, then you will be successful because um, unless you're completely incompetent, but, but I mean, it's, it's really the key to success in any business, but particularly in restaurants. That's fantastic. What's the, what was the process of like writing this book, Scott? I mean, how did you go about it? I mean, one of my dreams is to write a book one day. How did you go about writing this book? I mean, did you just sit down? I mean, it, it, it's, there's so much in there. I was trying to picture the, the way you went about writing it. You know, it, it's um, <laughs> the, the genesis of the book was that I was at the University of Arizona speaking with Len um, Jessup, who was then the dean of the business school, now mm-hmm. he's president of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and he encouraged me to write a case study for um, the grad students at right. uh, at, U, at Eller School of Business at U of A, and so I started writing it, and I got ten thousand words into it, and I still hadn't opened a restaurant. He was he was looking at it and and, and saying, you know, you should turn this into a book. Right. And I thought, well, you know what, I can, and I did. And so the the process really went like this: I I would you know, get up in the morning, write fifteen hundred to two thousand words, and then right. uh, put it away. And then in the afternoon, I'd look, go back to it, and look at it, and change it around, and what have you. And then the next day, look at it again, and if I liked it, great. And then write another fifteen hundred to two thousand words, and that was how the book uh, got written. And it was really. The words didn't flow out, I guess, but they right. they were certainly not. Uh, it certainly was not a difficult process for me. That's fantastic. I mean, do you have other books in the work now, Scott? I mean, now that you know this book is getting so much attention. Yeah, I think there's um, there is there's a possibility of another book. It's not about Bubba Gump, but it's about uh, something else. And 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 right. I um, I'm considering it. I've I've I'm, I know the work involved. So sure, of course. Right. Uh, and I, I have a consulting and a practice and a speaking practice and so on. And and I have some other businesses I'm in, in which with which I'm involved. But 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 um, yeah, I think there's a possibility of another book. Sure. That's fantastic. What's the best way uh, that our listeners can uh, buy the book, Scott? Are any websites that they go to? Can they go directly to your website or they go to Amazon? What's the best way to get the book? Yeah, I think the best thing is you can go to IndieBooks or Amazon.com or, okay. uh, of course, uh, uh, almost all Barnes & Nobles are carrying the book. And, uh, and of course, you can get it in an e-version online at Nook or iBooks or what have you. Well, it was a privilege for me to finally get to speak to you, Scott. It's, I th- again, I think the book is fantastic, and I'm recommending it to all my students and friends and family. So uh, you did a great job with the book. So I'd like to definitely have you back on the show again in the future. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm happy to do it. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much, Scott. We'll be right back with more. Franchise interviews from Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews.